everybody. Welcome to the very first episode streaming live from YouTube and StreamYard. This is Bring the Jury with Luke and Brian Sheely. I'm Hannah. Um, we are live from the Sheely Law Firm here in Columbia, South Carolina. Sheely Law Firm also has offices in Charleston, South Carolina. Today we're going to be talking about the Alec Murdoch updates, everything Becky Hill related. If you have any questions, feel free to drop anything in the chat. We'll be monitoring that. Um, but yeah, we're just going to go ahead and dive right in talking about just the general overview. What happened with Becky Hill? Why is this important? And what does it mean for Alec Murdoch? I'll pass it to you guys. Well, it's, you know, this kind of bombshell um, revelation that there was um, potential jury tampering by the um, clerk of court in Walterboro, South Carolina, Miss Becky Hill. You know, you know, the whole country is talking about it um, once Murdoch's defense team filed a motion for a new trial um, on September 5th, you know, so some almost half a year after the, the trial, um, and they file it based on interviewing jurors. And so whenever you file a motion, you want to back it up with, you know, evidence. And so in this case, they've taken, they've interviewed two or three jurors um, that were on that case, and they've given affidavits. Um, but essentially, the, the big picture is that the clerk of court, and, you know, we're, we're criminal defense lawyers and clerk of courts, are very important. They help organize the jury panel. They help um, tend to the needs of the jurors. You always want your jurors to feel comfortable. You want them to be as um, least inconvenienced as possible. And they basically are the coordinators of the jurors who have the ultimate job of deciding whether someone remains innocent or whether or not by a jury of their peers are going to be, um, you know, convicted in South Carolina. So. That's what we're accustomed to a court of court doing. Um, but in this case, based on the affidavits, I mean, they were basically the interviewing jurors were saying that Becky Hill um, was talking to jurors about their opinions concerning the innocence or guilt of Alex Murdoch, um, saying things to jurors about, you know, you're getting right here, his testimony, don't be fooled by him you know, don't believe what he says, look at his body language, insinuating that he's lying. Um, she did a lot of other unique things. I mean, granted, you know, these jurors take an oath not to even talk to amongst themselves while the case is deliberating or until the case is ready to be you know, at the deliberation stage. They're not even allowed to discuss the case. They're supposed to be talking about how your kids, what do you do for work, just kind of pleasantries, but not actually deliberating. So Per the motion and the affidavits, sworn affidavits by the jurors are saying that Ms. Hill was taking the foreperson aside and having private meetings, was taking juror number 785, who was a apparently a going to be not guilty. And she had questions about the state's theory and she had questions about the evidence. Um, and Ms. Hill was taking her and interrogating her in her office. And crazy parts of the affidavits and again it's already sworn testimony that's filed that juror number 785 said that you know we've seen a facebook post from your ex-husband and he's saying that you're talking about the case with him and that you're expressing your opinions on guilt or innocence and so she's number one in disbelief because this is a, a estranged relationship and she's like well i haven't talked to that guy in 10 years so I don't know what that's about. I don't know why he would say that on his Facebook. And she's like, oh, well, yeah, he sure is saying it. And, and by the way, what are, how are you feeling about the case? You know, because she's already kind of read the room with this juror that she's potentially going to be a holdout for Alec Murdoch. And so, I mean, that gets brought to the attention of Judge Newman. And the defense is saying that this is not an actual post. This is a fabrication that, that Miss Becky Hill made this up about this ex-husband to try to get her kicked off the jury. What we're saying is it's a real post, it's just a different guy. Well, that was the apology post. Right. The first post that was brought to Judge Newman's attention was, listen, 
This is an ex-husband that he's saying, I just happen to be scro scrolling through social media and I see this post. I know this to be the ex-husband of this juror number 785. And, you know, it says that, you know, we've been drinking and talking about the uh, deliberations. And then she interrogates the juror about this false post to, you know, lend the backstory to Judge Newman. And she denies it. But like, you know, I think we got to talk about this here, Judge Newman. And so, you know, I'm reading this filing and they take the um, the testimony. I mean, it's all transcribed. And so Judge Newman is saying, ooh, ooh, boy, I, I really don't like the fact that Ms. Hill has interrogated a juror as opposed to bringing a matter to me directly. So, I mean, Judge Newman knows that that's not a good good way to be. Um, and so she gets questioned about this Facebook post and she's like, listen, Judge, I haven't talked to him in a decade. I don't know why he would say that. Judge Newman is asking Ms. Hill, well, can you find this post for me so I can take a look? And Becky Hill is saying, well, I can't find it. Um, and then one of her deputy clerks is saying, well, I found an apology post. We, he must have taken down the one that I saw last night, but here's this apology post by a, another guy. And the guy's name is like Tim, Tim Stone, but it's spelled differently and it has a different Facebook profile picture than what juror 785's actual ex-husband is. And so um, talking about drinking and I apologize and I was drunk and I, I didn't mean to say what I said the other day and it must have been the devil in me. And so that gets into the record. And so basically, you know, this is all at the end of the trial. Um, the closing arguments by Creighton Waters have occurred. And so basically, Luke, I mean, this juror 785 stays on the jury. Um, but again, she's the one per the filing that has been identified as a holdout potentially for not guilty for Alec Murdoch. And so then, you know, essentially SLED gets, what is it, a tip, Luke, about these, uh, about the same juror is now discussing her thoughts on the case to uh, her tenant. And then this gets corroborated by the tenant's coworker. And so, you know, SLED is also involved in the prosecution of this case, obviously. And some of these investigators that are finding these people in the middle of the night and asking them questions are also on the state's witness list. So one's a state witness list, um, potentially can be called in the trial or has been called, and one is actually an investigator in the case. And so then basically, you know, the next day, all this comes about that, you know, there's understandings that she's talking to more people. And then Judge Newman, at that point, uh, dismisses her from the jury. So, and, and again, this is a situation where this juror refutes, of course, the any communication with her estranged husband. And then, you know, the thing about that post and that post fabrication from Miss Hill is that it also really alarmed the juror because um, she had restraining orders in the past out against her ex-husband and per um, this juror's affidavit, Ms. Becky Hill is saying things like, well, I'll get those restraining orders back in place. We'll take care of you. Just tell us, tell us about this. And so, I don't know, Luke, uh, you mentioned something we were discussing this before we went live, but you almost said Ms. Hill uses like a, a tactic. What did you, what'd you well, say about if, that? If this filing is to be believed, then it's got affidavits. And we, we discussed once we heard, once we heard there was some big announcement, and once we saw this, we figured that um, you can't just throw mud on the wall. So it seems like they are prepared to present evidence through affidavits. It's not just hearsay. But yeah, and here it says that per the juror, the former um, poor lady got kicked off, that that she was asking, you know, Miss Hill, show me the Facebook post. You know, I guarantee you I haven't talked to my husband and my ex in 10 years because apparently he's abusive. And Miss Hill says, well, sled agents went out there and he confirmed that post and that you told him these things. And it's just wild. And did that ever happen? No. No, <laughs> no it never did. So it's, I think what I commented on is she's interrogating a juror. Let's just 
step back. Our elected official who's supposed to uphold the sanctity of the, her main function is to make sure that courthouse is running. And the biggest function is to uphold the sanctity of our judicial system by making sure those jurors have private, undisturbed opportunity for deliberation. She has taken this juror aside and confronted her with false information, which is what police do in some of their most high pressure interrogations. That's a tactic that they use routinely. They're allowed to do it, but it's, it doesn't look good. Later on, you realize they confronted you with a lie to get you to confess. It didn't work, but, the, but according to this filing, Mattel was so invested in removing this juror because she may be potentially a free thinker or maybe embracing some, you know, doing her job as a, someone who wants to hear all the evidence and hear all the closings before deliberating that she wants to have her removed. I mean, it seems very much, if this is to be believed, that this is an engineered, um, designed way of removing this juror and it seems like she's routinely taking the pulse of a jury by privately meeting with one juror in particular in the bathroom on private walks and you can't do that they're supposed to be insulated and protected um and of course mr harpulian and mr griffin say this is all because she wants to enrich herself that she knows that she's planning on writing a book mm -hmm. and then no one wants to buy that book about how Man, that murderer really got away with something. I mean, that'd be an interesting book, but it's not as good for Becky unless she writes a book about she was behind the scenes on the doors of justice. I don't see how it really <laughs> makes a difference. Like, I think the book would have been just as interesting had she have, just but... been honest and not, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know what, what story. I guess she was trying to have a happy ending for the nation because so many people wanted to see him. Well, listen, and again, guilty, Becky. But, Clerk of court Becky is innocent until proven guilty, but mm -hmm. this is wildly uncommon, unheard of, and seemingly very well sourced. So if and when there is a hearing, which I can only imagine there will be, I mean, the world will be watching, and it, it does make a lot of sense that Becky has lawyered up. Um, and just talking about the, you know, because you... When you hear allegations like this that are what like luke says well sourced these are sworn affidavits this isn't just writing a brief by a lawyer this is actual evidence um in these filings why would a becky do that why would a miss hill do that and you know hannah mentions about you know the book deal is probably going to be the book deal hmm. but i don't know i mean maybe maybe you get to write a book if the case comes to a conclusion one way or the other guilt or innocence right but if a jury hangs and there's no conclusion, it's just a hung jury, then maybe you don't get that book deal. Um, there's no conclusion, it's just a hung jury. <laughs> it's a very meta experience that we just had. <laughs> so, I mean, I think, you know, based on the filing, it seems like Ms. Hill believed that there was one holdout and all it takes is one. One holdout is enough to hang a jury. Um, and it seems like Ms. Hill, per the affidavits, was taking the pulse of this juror frequently and didn't like, you know, how many beats per minute it was running. Um, but, it, you know, in this brief as well, there's a, you know, she's a public official. So no public official is supposed to use their position to enrich um, themselves um, by virtue of their position. So, like, doesn't mean you can't have a side hustle and, you know, have a you know, an Etsy shop of your, sure. <laughs> your hair dolls or something, but it's, uh, you can't, you know, what, what they're alleging here is that she's enriching herself from her position. She's motivated here by money and then ready to put the thumb on the scale of justice by talking, influencing, coercing, fabricating in the sanctity of the jury deliberation room. I mean, in our trial experiences, the judges are very clear at the end of every day, do not talk to your family. Do not even deliberate. Don't talk in passing to your fellow jurors about the evidence. You don't have the case yet. And then when the, after closing arguments are over and the jury gets read the jury instructions, they get read the law of the land by the court, 
And then you think it's done. Well, guess what? It's not. And then the court says, do not, you're going to go back there. Do not go back. Do, do not start the process until the court reporter here and the attorneys get all of the evidence, the exhibits. Go and, and, and only then, once they get brought back to you, can you begin. And sometimes that takes, depending on a trial, mm-hmm. certainly a six-week trial, that could take an hour to make sure everything is organized and then no one's missing something and only then are you allowed to even talk about it um and you know so what's what's the standard you know what's the standard for a new trial and it's outlined pretty well in the defense brief and it's kind of a you know basically if there is a communication um regarding, you know, by, with the jurors, by an outside influence, and if the subject matter of the communication um, wasn't harmless, basically, and it couldn't, it can affect the verdict. That's the standard. And so if a bailiff says, hey, guys, you feeling Chick-fil-A for lunch today? Well, that's a communication, but it's harmless because it's not about the trial. It's not about guilt or innocence. It's not saying, don't believe the defendant's body language. Don't, uh, let me interrogate you in my office for an hour about your feelings on the evidence of the case. Don't believe what he has to say. Um, you know, that juror shouldn't have handed him a box of tissue. That's what, the, that's what the defense wants us to do. I mean, that's the kind of stuff that was happening between the clerk of court and her jurors. Um, and, you know, the, the case law basically has been analyzed that the presumption is, is even stronger that there is subject the subject matter would have changed the outcome if it's from a court official. Um, and there's cases about, you know, bailiffs and other people. But essentially, you have the herder, the boss of the jurors for six weeks, telling them when and where to go, what to do, how to do it. Now, telling them how to feel about defense evidence and then when she's not feeling that that's enough she's fabricating um social media posts by a ex-husband that never posted something and other things to get a juror off for gain so jury tampering is a in south carolina is a felony allegation that carries up to five years um luke i understand this hill has some lawyers already involved in her representation. That is my understanding. Uh, I think uh, Justin Bamberg, who's a fine lawyer, but one who has no problem speaking out publicly and I think is a member of the House of Rep, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, Will Lewis, who doesn't speak so much publicly, but is a very smart, talented, experienced uh, former federal prosecutor. So she's got a couple there that might serve a couple different roles and keep her in good stead. It definitely means that she's taking this seriously, which she should, um, because these are just bombshell allegations. And at some point during whatever hearing that occurs in front of whatever judge that decides this matter, and we can talk about whether it should be Judge Newman or not, um, she may be called to testify, and then it's a question of whether she pleads the fifth or not about some of this, some of these allegations, which I suspect she will. Um, but this hearing, whenever it occurs, will be an absolute free for all. And and the hearing, you know, this filing doesn't just do it. <clears throat> this filing requests an evidentiary hearing, and that's the that's the legal standard for an allegation like this of jury tampering. Is let's have an evidentiary hearing. Um, it's not just a bunch of filings back and forth. So at some point in the future, there will be scheduled, I, I imagine, a lengthy evidentiary hearing, and they will put these jurors on the stand and they will be examined as to the affidavits. Um, the defense and the state will get an opportunity to examine them as well as a court fact finder, whether that's Judge Newman, who's going to be asking the jurors questions about this. Now, you know, the defense also kind of makes some points that, you know, he's a witness to this potentially. And they do that because, yeah, he was there and he was observing Becky Hill. He was he was 
taking actions based on her communications to him about jurors. Um, so he was there, he was in the mix of it. So, you know, you know, Judge Newman's a great judge. And so, you know, there's been some talk about, well, is he, can he be, you know, take this on himself if he's potentially a witness? You know, the, the question always is, is, well, can he be fair and impartial? And of course he would say, yes, I can be fair and impartial. Um, then there's some other questions are, you know, he's set to retire in December and it's um, September right now. So, you know, I would think that this would get scheduled before. Right now it's holding up an appeal. Right. I mean, <laughs> it is. So this motion has stayed the appeal process and it is, um, you know, it's, it's back for an evidentiary hearing. <clears throat> I've actually, I mean, Luke and I have tried a number of cases with Judge Newman as, as, as a presiding judge. Um, and this, this reminds me of a case I tried about a decade ago where Judge Newman was the presiding judge and we actually had uh, a jury tampering kind of wrinkle in the case. And so, I mean, basically it was a domestic violence case um, where my client, you know, was had, a, had that charge pending. It was his trial day and he was with me to pick the jury and he was a smoker. And so we picked a jury and we were getting ready to do opening statements. And I had a really good trial partner and she was getting ready to open. And so, I, you know, we had a five minute break and then Judge Newman is very prompt on coming back from breaks. And so I started going downstairs to the courthouse and looking for my guy. And I saw him kind of walking away from where he would take a smoke. And so I went outside and I was like, hey, what are you doing? Get back up here. Uh, Judge Newman's getting ready to hit the bench and he just looked back and he started moving faster and I started moving faster and he ultimately started spreading away from me. I was like, you know, Hey, we need you. What's, what are you doing? And he this said, is not a good look. And he, I just, I've always remembered this. He looked up, he was fast. I was never gonna catch this guy. He was like, don't follow me, Sheely. Don't follow me. And he was around the corner. And so, oh my gosh. And so I was, freak, I was freaking out. Our client just ran away. The client just ran away. And so get back up there. And, you know, Judge Newman was just taking the bench when I got back in the courtroom and where's your client? And my partner was getting ready to, to work on her, you know, do her opening. I was like, Judge, uh, he just sprinted around the side of the courthouse. He's gone. He's not coming back. And Judge Newman was like, all right, well, bench warrant for him, but let's start this trial. And so like, ugh, it's like your worst nightmare because the have and the have the jury come out yet? No, he was okay, going so to bring the jury back out. Okay, bring the jury. Okay, right, I just want to know if they knew so spread away. They didn't know that. Okay, and they knew that he was there during jury selection. Right. So, right. Well, so he in, was here, and then he's not. But he could have had. You know, something. So, in opening <laughs> statements, um, my partner, she was just like, "Hey, so I know you saw Mister. Like I say his name earlier. You know, he had something come up. He had a real case. He was really sick." <laughs> Jojo, I try with Jojo. Um, and but you know, the law says he doesn't have to be here. He, you know, the state has all the burden, all the proving. He doesn't have to testify. He doesn't have to be here. And you're gonna hear from Judge Newman this that same law. And so like they're like, okay, well we saw him and now he's not there. So we win the trial, um, and then they pick they pick him up on the bench warrant, literally as the jury is coming back with the verdict. And so now he's in handcuffs, but they, the jury can't see that. And so all of a sudden he's back for the jury verdict to be read and it's not guilty. You know, wow, he's excited about that. But here's, here's the jury tampering part. Mm. So um, one of the jurors, when they came back in on like day two of the trial, or I can't remember, it was, a, it was a pretty short trial, basically said, well, I know that the defendant was there earlier, but and he wasn't there when we started with openings. But I will say, I saw him <clears throat> running quickly down the stairs as I was coming up, and he did speak to me. Um, they they told a bailiff this, and he and there were two women, and he ran past them and he said, "Pray for me." And so he didn't say, "What's your feelings on the case?" He didn't say. You know, can you convict someone without a murder weapon? He didn't say anything mm -hmm. 
really big other than pray for me. Little did he know that juror was a woman of God. Right. Yeah. So that, that was made known to um, Judge Newman, as it should be. So mm. if that information gets made to a bailiff who assists the clerk of court in handling the jurors, um, that gets appropriately relayed to the judge. So we just you know, won this trial, and I'm all excited. And then Judge Newman says, well, we're going to take up another matter. Mm -hmm. um, here's what I'm hearing about what I just said. And my guy thought he was getting ready to get unshackled. And he's like, oh. So, so um, you know, after the trial, so what Judge Newman did is he did exactly what the law commands. It commands an evidentiary hearing to determine, number one, was there communication by an outside influence? And it's interesting here because, you know, it's my client. So technically he could have testified if he had been there and actually interacted or told a story to the jury. But anyway, so, but basically did that, um, did that communication, you know, affect concern the subject matter of what the jury was there to deliberate about. So pray for me, I guess me for my client would have been, the subject matter, his well-being, uh, and then did that communication, you know. Was it harmless? Was it harmless? Did it have an effect? And so what the what Judge Newman did was he put those two jurors on the stand and he, he asked them pretty lengthy questions about what happened, what transpired. And then he also allowed my client to testify. Mm -hmm. And so we elected to throw him up, up there. I think and he was kind of a wild guy anyway. And he was like, yeah, I need to, I need to let him know, let it be anything. I'm just scared, Mr. Sheely. And so um, he got up there and Judge Newman grilled him for a good bit. And then after keeping everyone kind of, you know, tensely on pins and needles for the remainder of the day, he said, all right, well, I find there's been no jury tampering. I find uh, your client to have made communication, but they're harmless. And he just did it in the moment. And I'm gonna find no jury tampering. And the other issue of contempt of court and just violating, you know, court proceedings and whether I want to, because you know, judges in South Carolina can also hold someone in contempt. You know, like a six month uh, offense. I find that you know, there's no, been no contempt. I'm all right. You can release this guy. And that guy was relieved. But like, Judge Newman is definitely gonna you know, want to not only allow defense and the state to examine these jurors, but he's going to do his own inquiry. I guarantee you he will, he may, he may do as much examination of the jurors as anybody. Um, Just curious, a little law school 101, how was Becky Hill selected or chosen, assigned to be the clerk of court for this trial? Uh, well, she had a public election. Oh, okay. Yeah, There's an election. Like, for it. Yeah, it's just like sheriff and okay. anything else is clerk of court. Okay. And they, um, it's interesting. Like, I don't know how much the average citizen consumer really thinks about the clerk of court, but they do campaign and they. Well, you know, literally, you know, I didn't know. Well, I mean, because it's not like when you're voting, you're like, thinking about the important stuff in your mind, whether that's governor or president or mayor or whatever. And then like some of the stuff you just, well, now you know how it affects the This world. is the color I like. Um, so I'll and, take that you know, one. Some clerks are better than others. Mm -hmm. Some are, have backgrounds and levels of education where they're pretty good at getting stuff done and in a, ethical way and others I, I know nothing about becky's background but um it is an elected official which okay. makes which makes it all the more interesting which triggers these criminal laws that she should not enrich herself which also as you if you listen to him i listened to um griffin and harpootlian's big press conference on the State House grounds. I mean, they were talking about court of appeals. Court of appeals. Yes. Okay. Well, it's part of State House grounds, but oh, excuse me. But um, so we did. And they were referencing 1983 lawsuits. That's right. They were saying that she's a state actor, which she is, which trigger, triggers federal lawsuits, wrongs done by people 
you know, but just like we've engaged in some of that, and you, you sue the sheriff in his official capacity. Well, you'd sue Becky in her official capacity, and that triggers a lot of stuff. So it's not good. It's not a good thing. Um, and whether, you know, I'm, I'm really fascinated to see what Judge Newman does um, because he is truly, in my humble, non objective opinion, a witness. Because I mean, there's a transcript here where he's questioning Becky about what she's relayed to the court. Um, he even seems exasperated that she essentially questioned the juror before he got the chance to. That's really his purview. If there's any juror impropriety, information gets relayed to him, but he does the questioning. He's the one that decides whether that jury, juror is excused or not. But the weirdness about this, you know, judges are used to ruling on standard post-trial motions. And a lot of that is really for the lawyers to preserve the record. If you lost and you think that you want to make sure the record is clear and let's say it's some issue that you think Judge Newman should have done better on, you put it up there, very likely it's going to be denied summarily without a hearing. Uh, we've had a couple before Judge Newman and other judges, and that's the way it is. Sometimes you may get a little bit of a hearing, um, but pretty rarely, pretty, pretty mostly not. Um, um, but so when a judge is at a sentencing, and Judge Newman is pretty particular about his sentencing. I mean, he takes them very seriously. He sat there, in this case, six weeks. He pretty much tells you how he feels about you, whether that's good or bad. I mean, we've had sentencing where he's been very complimentary of our client, even though he's about to send him to prison, and kind of just muses about his life choices, but he's got so much intelligence or potential that he wishes him the best of luck, and here's your sentence. But in this case, um, and he always gives that defendant the opportunity to say something, usually incriminating, because you know, if you say something incriminating, your chance of appeal is none. And sometimes when you when he feels a good connection with that client, he rewards them and be like, you know what, I feel like you were honest and you told me why you did this bad thing, and and, and you, you might get a surprisingly low sentence. But here he really under national spotlight, mm -hmm. told Alex Murdoch, you know, who's, you know, was practiced before him. So it's personal how he feels that he doesn't, he believes he can't sleep at night, that he's probably haunted by his wife and his son and his sleep. He used the word monster. I mean, he's thinking, chilling. he's thinking the jury has done their job. Now it's my turn and I'm going to, I'm going to send a message. So, but then you get this, you know, Rule 29B, motion for after discovered evidence. You can't ever imagine this would happen. And now, normally, he's being tasked with deciding this very weighty thing. And now you're going to have the defense lawyer saying, well, number one, you're a witness. So you really shouldn't preside over something that you're a witness to. And number two, can you be fair and partial when you said he's a monster and that this is one of the most heinous things you've ever seen? I mean, I don't know. I think that that would probably weigh on the side of the defense to say no, but if not him, then who? If he if it doesn't even get heard until he gets retired, well, then it goes to some other judge that's appointed or you know administratively decided to handle this very important issue. It's it's pretty unheard of. And one thing I want to make clear is that the law says a new trial must be granted unless it clearly appears the subject matter of the communication was harmless and could not have affected the verdict. So unless these jurors get up there and do an about face on these affidavits, which I don't see that happening, a new trial should be granted. And I, you know, Looking at social media, everyone's talking about this case and, you know, a lot of the, you know, sleds investigating and they want to talk to the other jurors. This is not like a, a weight of the juror kind of situation. It's not like, you know, 10 of them say that the two are liars. It, that's not the analysis. It's did a communication occur? These two or three say, yes, it did. Now let's assess the communication. Was it harmless? 
Was it about the subject matter? Yes, it was. And was it harmless? So, you know, and it's all, you know, South Carolina is the smallest place in the world. So you've got some of these other jurors that potentially sleds want to talk to. Well, did juror number 785 really say that? Well, I don't know. It's about her uh, fabricated Facebook post. I mean, <laughs> what's that about? You know, so some of these things they're not going to know. I mean, I, I guess some of these other jurors can say, were you allowed smoke breaks? Because apparently Ms. Hill didn't allow any of the jurors smoke breaks during the deliberations. And there were six smokers on the jury. Wow. And she just said, all right, you've been smoking. We've been having breaks, regular breaks, so you can be attentive to the proceedings and as relaxed and comfortable and relaxing because if you smoke you smoke and if you don't you don't but there's no like real in between right and so if you're taking smoke breaks during your job you might start if you're on and, the and, for this and because you want to be comfortable and attentive and all of a sudden the most important part about deliberation not hurry up hurry game up. over game over and so that so that happened, and so like I guess you could say, well, did that really happen or not? Um, and I guess you know, <laughs> if you don't get this thing decided before dark, we're going to put you in hotels. <laughs> so that's the other thing. She she also didn't mention. She apparently per these affidavits, and it's going to be a best western. Per these affidavits, she says, hey, by the way, you better hurry up because if it gets dark and we're deliberating, we're going to usher you up to hotels, whether you packed a bag or not, and. You know, we'll buy, we'll buy a toothbrush and throw a croissant at you. I mean, like, and so the, these jurors are freaking out about that. Um, They're becoming unhinged. So that's the type of pressure, that is the type of pressure that should not be happening in all honesty. And that happened with you guys said, one time, right? We got, in our last trial, we were pretty upset because they were not ordered dinner as a matter of course. They were just kind of tossed some crackers and we were like, hey, hey, hey. It, it, was, nine or, these folks. it was nine or ten at night. And it was a younger new judge who we really like, by the way, we really like this judge, but it could have been his first jury trial. And the clerk of court, um, who was the deputy clerk, just gave them like little crackers and uh, peanut packets. And they sent out a note saying, can we're we, hungry, can we get dinner? And we're like, yes. Like SOS. So just, just, for, yeah. just, for, a frame, just for a frame of reference, that really pissed us off. Yeah, that and that was not jury. That was not a clerk of court interrogating and fabricating. That was just her not doing her job of ordering dinner for these folks. If the judge didn't keep them out to deliberate, order dinner, keep them comfortable. And so that, and then they get did get dinner, deliberated another four hours, and then had to go home because they needed to come back. But what if they never had dinner and just were starving and it was eleven o'clock and they're like, screw it. Um, they might have decided that night even more harshly than they ended up deciding. <laughs> right. But like, you know, so it, it, all that matters. That is a safe, sacred place for thoughtful analysis and comfortable discussion about, you know, evidence and you have to weigh it. You can't do that if you're starving or scared or bullied or pressured. Or feeding for a sick. Right. <laughs> so. Dang. That's crazy. Would you say that when juries kind of feel that pressure to decide, do you think that it sways one way or the other more more commonly? Do you think people are more quick to make a guilty verdict or are they more quick to, or does it just depend on the case? I think it depends on the case. Yeah. Um, but they are quick to decide. And there's, you know, there's something called an Allen charge that really is designed to light a fire under them. And in our last trial, we did have an Allen charge. And it really, it, once they claim that they're, they're struggling or deadlocked, then the, the judge is supposed to give them this charge. It basically says, you're the best jurors we could possibly imagine. No one can do a better job than you. Please keep deliberating. You know, it might result in a mistrial. You know, this would be some other jury, some other day would have to hear all this. It basically encourages them to, to make them feel like, hey, you're in the best possible position. No one else can do it. This is your job. Go do it. And then usually that, that's like, hey, all right, all right. So come on now. We don't want this. And usually it's not long after that. So you also have to really, it has to be said the right way. You can only get it once. You can't give them that charge again. And so 
um, it does matter, and that typically gets them across the line one way or the other. Um, and sometimes they have notes, and they want they want things that are really. I mean, if a judge like Judge Newman doesn't allow them to take notes for whatever reason, that's his. No thing. matter what the case. No matter what the case. Just well, I, well, I know why. He he says I don't want a right. juror to write something down, and then maybe another juror doesn't write that bit down and it, in deliberation that juror's note maybe it's taken down incorrectly it becomes a focal point oh. to and it can be given more you know weight than what it should be if you write it down and maybe someone else didn't and you kind of so he doesn't want that some judges are like here who wants a notepad right so you've got like yeah, they're monitoring you, you, you might have a juror or jurors who like you go, aha, I remember that witness said that, but they're also maybe they're missing something because in the moment they're not engaged and they know something was said, but they couldn't really feel whether it was credible in their own mind. So it, I think it's a split on what judges want to do. It's very much a personal preference. What do you guys prefer? Do you guys like to have a jury that keeps notes or not? Depends on the case. I think if it's like a super scientific case. We're out. If we're if we're struggling on the defense and we need them to latch onto one super salient point, if I get that point out, I'll just say I'll be like, write that down. I will say this: we had a jury trial three weeks ago with a judge that allowed notes, and only the alternate asked for a notepad, and I really wish she was on the jury. Mm -hmm. And I had I had to do some math with a very key witness and the math, you know, I was able to publish it to the jury based on a rule of evidence that even though, you know, I was extrapolating numbers and I kind of added it up and I left it up on this big uh, video, like uh, document viewer for the jury for 10 minutes with the, with the tally. <laughs> and I was like, surely they're going to remember this number. Right. And then they didn't mm -hmm. and their note back, in deliberating was, can you tell us what that number was? Because that's important to us. <laughs> and I was just like, no! And the alternate had been excused. And the alternate was gone. She's the one that had the number. So so I wish, you know, some of them had written that down. That would have been very helpful to me. But mm -hmm. um, so I, I like I like notes personally, but. I'm torn. If it's a short trial, it's all based on like emotion and feeling, no. But if it's a longer trial and there's data, and scientific evidence it couldn't hurt to write down that opinion from that expert that might be important. Um, but sometimes when they come back, they want they want things they can't have, and the judge has to say, "Well, you just have to rely on your own memory and recollection of the testimony as it came oh, man. from that witness stand." And sometimes, you know, sometimes they want to be recharged on the law, which means they're thinking about the language of the law. And that's that's fine. I think um, my favorite juror questions ever. Uh, it was a domestic violence case where the woman was pretty obviously not telling the truth, and she she claimed that. Well, my client said that she was mad. He came home and was staying out late, and he was really a big guy, and that she kicked him, tried to kick him in the bed, but she was so little that she ended up kicking herself out of the bed. <laughs> And then fell and hit her, hit her knee on her face. That was our, our theory of defense. That's a pretty loose theory of defense. Well, anyway, <laughs> but the, the, the jury questions were. I don't know the physics. <laughs> the the jury questions were. Well, right. You said that her injury wasn't domestic abuse, but it was. Self she kicked herself out of bed by one. Because he's so big, she pushed off. And then, and then <laughs> she, she bashed her own face into her knee and she, she hit the floor. Oh, that's like, okay. <laughs> Like she have to bring so the back up, in. I was like, <laughs> so anyway, that was her theory. Okay. I don't know if I but the juror question. Now this is one of those short, sweet, emotional trials. <laughs> but the juror questions were: uh, Were the floors hardwood or carpet? And did she even have a job? <laughs> soon, and what was she wearing? And as soon as we heard that one, I was like, oh. Right. <laughs> and does she, does she even have a job? Did she have a job? And what yeah. was she wearing? She's probably asking for it. Well, yeah. Anyway, it was interesting. Oh. They were clearly buying into the kicking, being kicked out of bed. So, anyway. Yeah. Sometimes, carpet, um, carpet. sometimes your questions can be very. Tell him, like, you know, you're like, oh gosh, 
I feel like we should do a whole episode just yeah. about silly drink. And sometimes it's like reading tea leaves. <laughs> and uh, remember we had that federal trial in January for a police officer that tased our client in her bed nine times um, for no good reason. Mm. And the jury came back with a weird note. And one of our co-counsels was like, stood up. And back in, the, in our conference room, was like, all right, it's over. <laughs> We're done. <laughs> this case is sunk. Client, do you agree? What are we going to do about it? And I'm like, what? No, you can't, you can't make that claim just from that. What was the question? I'm trying. It was, or, yeah. Well, it was a question about, I mean, that's a totally different world. This is a civil case. Um, we're trying to claim multiple occurrences of injury. And he felt very pessimistic about the, the question and whether we would even have mm. a win at all. Um, but he got that wrong and we did. So, but it, you know, sometimes you just can't tell. You just can't tell. Yeah. I find that it's one or the other. Either it's so obvious or you can't tell at all. Um, so anyway. So, there's obviously talk of there being another trial, um, the sequel, wow. which is wild. Um, what would the logistics look like? Like, would this have to be relocated? What are the chances that a jury would come back with a new verdict for Alec Murdoch? Well, I think let's just say he gets a new trial by Judge Newman just for this jury tampering. I mean, so what's really interesting is that if you if that were the case, then there's no reason to say that that the major issues that I think shaped his conviction, other than his perhaps guilt, like the four or four B, the bad character, financial crimes evidence, like if just if Judge Newman just said you get a new trial, that doesn't mean that all that just wasn't coming in. But if it went up on appeal. And the court said that should not have come in. That was wrong. Go back and have a new trial. And then the new trial judge has that knowledge. They know under this case it should not have come in. And it was error. I mean, that makes all the difference in the world. So, but like, so those are huge questions. But the question of like, if it happens exactly like it did, but it's just a new jury because Becky screwed it all up, he probably goes down. But if it, if there's some appellate issue that says they shouldn't have heard about all the financial crimes, that he didn't open the door to it, and guess what? That, that is, attempted suicide is just so prejudicial that he couldn't have gotten a fair trial. If he didn't have those things, new, new jury, I mean, you never know whether they do it in Colleton County or not. I mean, there's, no, there's not a place in the world that hasn't heard yeah. of Alex Murdoch, but from a structural institutional, I mean, this is an allegation that the institution, the county of Carlton from the clerk of court meant to subvert this process. So I think whoever, if there was another trial, they could with a straight face say, he can't get a fair trial here. We need to go, I mean, everybody, everywhere people have heard of him, but let's go to Richland County. Um, let's go to, I mean, it has to be in the state, but you can't have a chance. That is a good point. So let's say, Newman grants a new trial. And, you know, gotta get scheduled, it's gotta get, you know, I mean, what's happening to Becky Hill? She's she's gonna be, I mean, she's gonna be under investigation. You know, so and then you made an allegation. So let's say she's still the clerk of court when this gets, so she's gotta either resign, she's gotta be suspended. She's got to step down. And then let's say a deputy clerk step forward and says, I can do this job. They Becky hired them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Becky, Becky's been my mentor for 15 years. So like, you know, that may be a good ground to have it go to a different county. Mm -hmm. It's very interesting, but you're right. I mean, who doesn't know about this trial? I mean, but I mean, they'd have to be vetted and of course that'd be fair and impartial, but I think it's worse if if Newman grants this to the defense because he's not re-ruling on the 404B issues. He's just saying, yeah, that, that jury got tainted by Becky. Go redo it. Oh, Lou, I think Alec Murdoch would probably beg to differ if it's worse for him if he gets a new trial. Well, I know, but like, let's just say assuming he gets a new trial. Let's just say that. 
I think it'd be better if the Court of Appeals says, has the issue of 404B, so they can instruct the new trial judge for him. But that's, like, a, that's an academic argument. Well, here's one thing I would, I would say on that point. I'm the, sometimes. Well, think about this. Think about this, sir. <laughs> um, judge Newman initially kept out the financial crimes. Right. And, and then he said that um, Jim Griffin opened the door. Right. So the initial ruling was it stays out. But that, but is, did he really open the door? Which I don't think he did. Well, I guess I'm saying, let's say this gets to be a new trial with a new judge. It's not, it's fascinating. So you're saying it's not a foregone conclusion, it just comes in. No, it's not. But we've also had all this testimony to it. So there's some massive pretrial rulings that would have to happen. Um, and now he's. He's pled to a bunch of financial crimes awaiting sentencing. Right. And he only probably took a stand, he would say, because of the financial crimes coming in. So well, that's why it's come full, become full circle. That's why his testimony took multiple days instead of just several hours. Yeah. Um, well, fascinating. Most importantly, leave Buster alone. Leave Buster alone. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Well, I think Buster would love for his father to get a new trial. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he's still, he, he did an interview recently. It's, I don't think the conviction has changed his opinion that his father is innocent. Um, so I think he's fully in support and. and there's still a lot of unanswered questions. Right, I mean, Murdoch's going down for, he's gonna be in prison the rest of his life. The question is, is it gonna be for the murder of his wife and son mm -hmm. after this, after this craziness? with Becky Hill. Oh, Becky, you know, we've said this before, but Creighton Waters, who did a great job on this prosecution, is probably just wants to strangle Becky Hill. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, do you think that uh, Dick Harputlian is super excited to get back in the ring? He always is. Oh, okay. He well. never wants to stop fighting. He's always ready to get back in the ring. Well, then yeah. there you go. Yeah. It'll be, be a good match. Um, I think we'll wrap it up there. This was our first try on StreamYard and YouTube Live. I think it went well. We have a lot of room um, for growth, but uh, we really enjoyed um, testing this with you guys. Please feel free if you ever have any questions or cases that you want to learn more about, give us a comment, slide into the DMs, let us know what you guys are interested in at the moment. Um, and yeah, this has been Bring the Jury Bring with the jury. Luke Bring and Brian Keeley. Bring the Jury. <laughs> we might be hearing that again very soon. Oh, yeah. So thank you guys, and we will see you next time.